right, good morning class. Welcome to Art Eater podcast number 40. Uh, so today's session is going to be a little more intimate than normal. It's just me and my buddy, uh, Jörg Tittle. So uh, we are going to be talking about the Dreamcast. So uh, this is a subject super uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's just one of my favorite uh, video game systems of all time. Um, it's a subject both of us are very, very passionate about. Um, yeah, so uh, first I'd like to introduce uh, Jörg. Uh, he, he's uh, got his hands in all kinds of awesome projects. He works in uh, games, uh, uh, film, uh, cool mixed media projects. He's got a really awesome uh, VR game coming out soon called uh, The Last Worker, which is, I love that title. It's a super evocative title, fits with the theme of the game perfectly. Uh, please check that out. But um, yeah, Jörg, uh, please uh, let, let people know uh, what, what you're up to. Hey everybody, I'm Jörg and uh, yeah, uh, uh, I'm uh, based in London um, and uh, I make stuff and uh, usually things involving stories, but uh, more and more things involving gameplay and 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 I'm getting um, more and more confident in making games around revolving around mechanics as well now. So I'm, I don't know, I'm sort of, I've gone full circle, I, I, you know, as, as a kid I was you know, mad, madly into games, um, you know, I mean, uh, starting from Pong all the way to now. Um, so I've always been into video games, but I also, you know, grew up in a house in a, in a, in a family that of, of my mother is, is a film composer or a composer, but she's done also, also film music and worked in the theater and opera a lot. So for me, I always wanted to work in, in that world. I always wanted to tell stories and make films and, and theater and stuff, and uh, and when I then started studying uh, theater uh, in New York at New York University, uh, in order to pay for my studies, I started working as a video game journalist. And then I realized, you know what? I'm. Uh, I think we're almost there. We're almost at this point where, where games and movies and theater and everything can just be, be part of the same mix and made by the same creative people. And so that was always my goal: is to, is to be able to to dabble in in all of these things and hopefully not become a master of none but um but ideally sort of like evolve the those art forms into something where we can share each other's aesthetics and love and passion and and create these sort of multi-tentacled gorgeous projects that you know uh, express our ideas across all different mediums and bring joy everywhere yeah so yeah that's me about that yes yeah, so uh, Jorg and I, we, we've had a lot of just awesome conversations about our, our shared love of, you know, games, film, anime, you name it. So uh, I, I thought it would be fun just to get together and um, just shoot the breeze, you know, not, not uh, just talk about how much we love the Dreamcast and um, how truly special that system was and just how special that era, too. I think that was a real big turning point in, um, in, in video games. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that the Dreamcast was in a way the last the last oh i think someone just arrived oh hey okay professor andy just just popped in hey andy oh hello hey thanks hello for professor andy oh is uh my sound all right oh yeah yeah you're super clear super clear okay you're yeah. super well, n nice to meet you in person sort of andy oh yeah let me just uh get the right camera to show um yeah, dear viewer, we are on a video call, but you will never see our faces because we all have, because <laughs> we have faces for the radio, really. Uh, but you could project, you know, Adonis looks on us if you want, dear viewer or listener. 
Hey, Annie, very nice to meet you and see you. Um, yeah, nice to see you. Hey, yeah, I know we were just starting to talk a little bit about the about the Dreamcast um, and uh, and how, you know, I mean, to me, it was almost the last the last uh, non-corporate console, even though it was, of course, Sega was a massive corporation at the time. Uh, and it's, of course, changed in, in shape and form now. But there was something about the whole spirit behind it, which was so indie and so sort of disruptive and so experimental. Uh, you know, it, and, and, you know, some might argue that's what also made it the last console that Sega ever released. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. uh, but, but I think the experiment was worth it because ultimately, uh, if, if Sega hadn't ma made it, then Sega possibly wouldn't exist at all now uh, because what it actually did, it actually laid the foundation um, for for what Sega is now and for and, and more importantly for what indie games are now I, I think yeah I, I think that's a super good point because I um, when I talk to some people uh, not not just young people but like yeah sometimes I talk to people who maybe um, came into games from a corporate background and you know um, uh, maybe talking to like PMs or something and, and I'm talking about like the old days of games I I, I watched from afar I read about it later but like the way people made games back then was totally different. It it, it wasn't about like metrics and like uh, you know uh, focus group tests and like uh, hitting these numbers. It was like really really creator driven, and um, and that was kind of the norm for too. Like it, uh, um, that, that's not to say like you know I mean obviously you, you want to make money from this stuff, but the way games were made, um, you know, up through the '90s and and really like especially the way Sega approached games for the Dreamcast, it is much closer to how people imagine like indie games are made now, you know, like it, it's very auteur driven. Um, it's interesting because before, before the Dreamcast, if you take a look at Yu Suzuki, for instance, or, uh, or uh, Yuji Naka and, and Sonic Team or, or AM2 and AM1, actually they had these very sort of corporate divisions uh, uh, before, before the Dreamcast, they were called AM1, AM1, AM3. And, uh, and it was when the Dreamcast came along that this sort of semi-independent model kicked in uh, at Sega, where where Mizuguchi, for instance, Tetsuya Mizuguchi, uh, uh, he founded uh, uh, United Game Artists, um, and uh, and other and Sega Rosso was founded, and uh, and Amusement Vision, and all these uh, and Wow, and all these different sort of teams within within Sega that were operating semi-independently. I mean, Mizuguchi took it even further because he actually moved uh, away from the Sega offices and, and set up in the super cool Shibuya district. Um, and and there was, and if you talk to any of those guys, they'll tell you that, uh, and girls from the time, they'll tell you how the spirit was one of like, well, one big part of one big creative family, but we're all sort of sort of these sort of like crazy rogue elements within it. We're all sort of punk and disruptive. Um, as punk and disruptive as as one could be and you know, <laughs> we're, we're well taking money from 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 Sega. But uh, and and that shows, you know, that's where games like that's where Jet Set Radio has that spirit as yeah. well, that spirit of of rebellion, that spirit of um, of saying F you to the man. 
Yeah, uh, it felt very genuine. It, it it didn't feel like contrived as a commercial product. It was like, no, this is awesome. Like everyone I knew that was into into graffiti, like they, everyone that I knew that liked to go out and actually illegally tag stuff, they loved that game. They're like, yeah, this game is cool. Like it it has a genuine, sincere spirit to it. Like it's actually a cool game. Yeah. Yeah, it was the same. Uh, make your own tag. Oh yeah. But that personal touch yes absolutely i mean i even made a fuck you trump tag um in just Set radio uh a couple of years ago i went back to the game and it, was, it felt so good to be able to do that you know yeah. Yeah. uh yeah it's it's that that game was but also like and then you had these crazy crazy cool experiments that turn into cult hits like seaman for instance where Saito-san and his team just, you know, convinced uh, as, as a fully independent team from Sega, convinced Sega to actually build a piece of hardware, an accessory for the Dreamcast that you would chuck into the slot into the back of your uh, of your controller so you could actually talk to this fish with a human face. And I mean, it's insane. I mean, when you yeah. think about it now, it's like, you know, it's it's it doesn't make any commercial sense to do this, no. but the game actually did very well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean. So, uh, do you think this was influenced by like manga creation culture? Because it does seem pretty similar. Of like, here's this artist putting a team of them, like pouring out of their weirdness inside of them, and then see what happens. Like, see if it sells. Yes, I think so. I there was definitely. Um, should I turn off my video for uh, for the stream to be a bit? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's turn off our video for now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll do that. Um, yeah, it's it, we. It was. I think that's that. See, see if it sticks. Attitude, mentality was definitely there, and it wasn't just in Japan. Uh, I mean, for instance, you had uh, Frederic Renal, the wonderful uh, game designer and 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 creator of uh, Alone in the Dark, for instance, the very first um, horror game. Uh, uh, survival horror game yeah, uh, before, way before Resident Evil. Yeah, yeah, an amazing guy. He also did. Uh, uh, he also did Little Big Adventure and all sorts of other amazing games over the years. But he he had set up a new company uh, just before the you know as, as the as the plans for Dreamcast for the Dreamcast were were being forged. Sort of after the Saturn's sort of or as the Saturn was sort of collapsing um, in its own way. Uh, which is also a tragic story in its own right, because yeah. that was an amazing system, which I cherish very much to this day. But, uh, but he had he created No Cliche, a, a team in France, and he was invited uh, to uh, to make a game for the as of yet unnamed next uh, Sega console, and so he was invited to to the London office, uh, Sega Europe's headquarters, and the Japanese. Um, head of Sega Europe at the time um, invites Frédéric Renal, who speaks doesn't speak very good English, so everyone was speaking relatively broken language with each other. And he goes into this uh, office and uh, and he goes, "Well, it's very nice to meet you. Uh, um, thank you for having me. So, yeah, uh, you'd like me to perhaps make a game for you? Uh, uh, yes. Okay. Um, so, what kind of games are you looking to have on the system? And so the the head of Sega Europe uh, says to him, uh, well, um, you are Frédéric Renal, right? He's like, yes. So you, 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 
you make video games, don't you? Yes. Well, so why don't you make one then? And he goes, well, like any, any, any game I want at all? Yeah, anything you want. Okay. And, 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 oh, but there's one thing. Okay. Well, it has to come out on the day that the uh, Dreamcast comes out in Europe. And that was it. That was the only requirement. It's like, what budget do you need? Here's a budget. Go. Wow. And so, and, and I'm hearing from so many others that that was the general attitude and approach to it. And that explains why, that explains why you have, you know, somebody amigo, you know, it explains why you have seaman. It explains, uh, why we have, you know, crazy taxi and even, even that, even that, that spirit even translated over to, to, to their closest publishing, uh, and development partners like Capcom. I mean, what, what Power Stone did was insane. Oh you know, God, yeah. That game was beautiful. how cool was that? Yeah. And, and not only was it beautiful, but it was also because they Dreamcast wasn't just a console. It was also an arcade hardware at the same time. So, which was a brilliant thing to do. So they said, you know, here's this thing. It's pretty powerful. It will look good in the arcades. And then, you know, so you had Power Stone in the arcades and at home at the same time. It was awesome. And then also, like, remember the typing of the dead? How cool was that? Yeah. You know, they're like, hey, yeah, sure. Let's make a keyboard for this thing. And uh, so you can go online. Oh, speaking of which, you know, many people, when you talk to people in Japan, you know, the modern internet architecture and infrastructure that exists in Japan today mm-hmm. wouldn't exist without the Dreamcast. Did you know that? Really? What? Yes. Because the, 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 the head of Sega at the time, who sadly died uh, at the end of it, he died, he, was, he, he died and actually gave a few hundred million uh, of his own money uh, to the corporation in his testament, uh, which is amazing yeah. if you think about it. But he he uh, he he felt that the and he thought and he famously said that the future of video games will be online, and um, so for him it was very important to to put internet gameplay at the very core of of the Dreamcast strategy, but there was no uh, sort of wildly uh, adopted uh, internet. Uh, uh, sort of service in Japan. I mean, some people were online, others weren't. Um, and so he made, uh, he put his own money into giving away a free uh, internet service provider um, with with each Dreamcast. So, so when you got your Dreamcast, you would be able to go online for free. I mean, you'd have to pay yeah. your phone line. But... Um, and the same was uh, the case in Europe. I'm not sure if that was extended to the States. I think it was as well. But we had our, a free ISP uh, with uh, with the Dreamcast here as well in Europe. And yeah, and and the, and then uh, he also um, asked uh, developers, if you have an idea for a really cool online game, uh, then please work on that. And uh, Naka-san, uh, you know, already had plans for Fantasy Star Online. But uh, but he made this quick and dirty little uh, indie title uh, as a launch title, I believe, uh, which was Two True Rocket, which is still one of my favorite games ever made. And it's actually the first game I ever played online against anyone except for like PC, like Doom or whatever, uh, and Quake. But on a console, the fact that I could play Two True Rocket uh, against uh, random players, it was so awesome. And and so yes, yeah, so, so it was a free ISP, a Sega 
uh, run ISP that came with it. So today we, we have to thank the Dreamcast for the modern internet sort of infrastructure that we have in Japan. It, it made the internet mainstream for people. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, just to give context to younger readers, like I, I remember even in the States back then, um, this was the age of, of dial-up and uh, the most popular uh, ISP in America was uh, America Online. They used to give out um, internet on CDs. You would get like CDs with magazines and stuff. Um, internet was still charged by the hour back then, you know. And uh, for for a lot of people, um, yeah, it, it was a new thing. I I, I remember for uh, a lot of my friends, not everyone could afford to have a PC at home. You know, maybe they used one at the school lab. But uh, for a lot of a couple of my buddies, the Dreamcast was the first thing they ever took online. Um, and, uh, you know, worth noting, it's the first console ever that came inter internet ready. Um, it was the, the first console that shipped with a modem. Like, it, th this had never been done before. It was part of the core strategy from the get-go. And uh, I remember my buddies, like, their, their first tr trip on the internet at home wasn't on a, on a computer monitor. It was on, like, a blurry TV and with the Dreamcast um, controller, you know, tr trying to look up blurry JPEGs of naked ladies late at night. <laughs> Like, it, it was just, it was a different time. And then um, outside of America, like, people didn't have uh, PCs, right? Like, uh, not everyone had a PC. A home computer a adaptation outside of uh, North America was, is, is, was much lower. Uh, it, it was not, like, a household item. So Yeah, like, the U.S. is, like, the cheapest place to own a computer at home. Yeah. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah it, the, the Dreamcast was many people's first ever foray into the internet yeah. and and some people bought it just for that like yeah. it, it's the word started spreading and so but um unfortunately it had a, one big corporate vi rival and that was sony and and sony was playing quite a mean and aggressive uh game to to try and defeat them and they did them and they defeated them mostly with bullshit um i.e with marketing because the games weren't better um and and actually the playstation 2 was in no way as advanced uh, and innovative uh uh i mean yeah the graphics chip was great and more integrated it was kind of easier to develop for blah 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 but it was actually that's not entirely the case either because sega was working with quite closely with Win windows ce and stuff yeah. it was actually quite simple making games for the dreamcast yeah but say, but Sony just put so much money into marketing, and they just they they sadly kicked their butts. But um, and it's it's slightly unforgivable actually because it was quite a dirty game that they were playing, um, and I wish they hadn't done uh, because the Dreamcast was gorgeous. I mean, the Dreamcast also had four uh, controller inputs in the yep. front as well. Right from the I mean, how cool was that? It was awesome. from the get go. The thing was all about having friends at home and online. But either you could choose. It gave you that choice. It didn't, you know, unlike sort of Apple or whatever, where they'll just remove a bunch of headphone jacks and force you into their bullshit. Yeah. Here, it was just sort of like, you could do whatever. Like, you have friends at home? Go ahead. You want to go online? Go ahead. Um, Even the VMU, was... the, v the memory card plugged into each controller and had a miniature screen on it, and you could download games to it specific to each title. So some games you, you could continue playing on the memory card, um, you know, to give you like, it was the, 
think of it, it, it truly delivered on this integrated experience, right? Like where, you know, even when you stop gaming on the TV, you can take the game with you if you feel like it. It was it was totally unforced. It was totally uncontrived, like very natural. Little pets from Sonic Adventure. Yeah, that yes. was a big deal. Little Tamagotchi pets, right? Style. Yeah. And, and then you also had, and then what was also interesting was how how small some of the teams were they're making these games and some of them were really truly tiny and that's and i think that's what what sort of creates that parallel to today's today's uh, indie scene where you know um you had uh, you know the team on on uh, on seaman for instance was was quite small uh uh and uh, and that was a game that made huge waves and people just talked about it because it was so crazy and so weird and yeah. so controversial as well because it was quite a rude game especially in the western version which they turned them into quite a rude fish it was actually quite uh, quite um better behaved in the in the japanese uh version uh but the teams were quite small and um and quite flexible that way i mean and then you had companies like bizarre creations uh in the uk uh who are uh who were an amazing 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 team and uh and i love them very much and they um they did uh they they also did uh you know uh, geometry wars you know um yeah that was a big deal that game yeah yeah which was actually just a little throwaway uh game included uh in uh, in another game uh, it was uh, in metropolis street racer i believe they they put that in as a little easter egg uh, in project gotham racing 2 that's right I think it was Project Gotham Racing 2, which, which, because they did a game called Metropolis Street Racer, which was an incredible racing game on the Dreamcast, and uh, the best graphics uh, of any racer at the time. And uh, and uh, before that, they had made games uh, as part of uh, or for Psygnosis. So they did the Formula One game, for instance, that Psygnosis published on PlayStation and stuff. And so there are a bunch of like really crazy hardcore coders and artists in the UK. And uh, and bizarre creations were one of the natural fits for this for this new system. So Sega went to them and made them one of those one of their what they called 1.5 party uh, uh, developers. So they weren't owned by Sega, but they they were treated with the same level of access to the hardware and to their sort of strategy as an in-house developer would be. So that was uh, so so they were treat so they were indies, but and plus in a way. And so Metropolis Street Racer was this incredible racing game, which which I really you know recommend for people to pick up now because even to date to this day that game was doing stuff that that you could see, you could see uh, Project Gotham Racing doing again later, but that was so ahead of its time. And they also did this awesome game called Fur Fighters, which I don't know if you ever played that, but it was like a third person oh, yeah. shooter uh, with uh, like little cartoon animals shooting each other and uh and it was multiplayer and it was it was badass i mean it was so much fun super crazy addictive fun and uh anyway but that was also done by, by a pretty small team so they had this sort of experimental original in the indie spirit to everything uh and people were just giving it their all it's it's an awesome system yeah, yeah. fur fighters the cover that, art for that was cool. Yeah, was that Simon uh, Bisley? Yeah. For the cover art? I don't I don't know. Or I think Possibly. Maybe, maybe for the sequel. The sequel of Vigo's Revenge. It looks very much like a, a Simon Bisley uh, rendition of a teddy bear. 
It's like cute. Yeah, it's okay. possible. Grizzled. But um, yeah, fur fighters. You know, that that's like you you already start seeing like uh, taking the appeal of like uh, first person shooters, but of course making it third person, making it cartoonier. Um, you know, making it about like sort of the mobility. Like it, you 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 you're only just starting to see that sort of thing come back in recent years with stuff like you know Splatoon, or um. Or, or this Fortnite thing that no one's playing. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's 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 totally it's it's it invented so many things that game as well. It it wasn't the success that they wanted it to be. I think in the West it was actually I think I believe Acclaim had to publish it in the U.S. I don't know why. Um, I think it might have been because the Dreamcast wasn't doing particularly well, and 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 so Sega was losing confidence. I'm not quite sure what happened there. Uh, but it was it was great, and then and of course like and then I, I think the ultimate example of there's two things I want to talk about. There's one one game that was incredible on Dreamcast as well was was Res of course, which was United Game Artists and Mizuguchi Sons um, uh, awesome third person flying shooter game uh, with incredible music by people like Ken Ishii and others, and and of course uh, 20 years later or 15 years later or so. It would then come back as Res Infinite, with as a VR game, and with the graphics not having been changed at all, other than the new Area X zone that they added on top. And you realize, shit, that thing always looked amazing. It still looks, it looks amazing today, and it looked amazing back then. It hasn't aged yeah. by a day. Nope. And 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 another game was Cosmic Smash, which again, which also hasn't aged. There were so many games within that. That uh, that just still to this day look incredible, and then sadly that game came out. The res came out uh, about, about like maybe six seven months after the Dreamcast's discontinuation. So uh, so it didn't. It just didn't get the success uh, that it you know that it deserved until you know Mizuguchi managed to get it back and then release it uh, on I think PlayStation Two and then. And then, of course, years later, is a VR game. But again, it shows how how ahead of this it's it's time that that console and those teams and those creatives were, you know, um, so cool. Yeah, just uh, I, I just want to point out for 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 the listeners, like uh, yeah, if 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 the Dreamcast was before your time, I, I think it's really still worth it going back to play these games. Number one, they're just fantastic games. They're still really fun. But uh, number two, if you if you just sort of pay attention to like just. These games are so complete. Like um, again, it's it's the way they were made back then. It's totally different from now. Nowadays, you you everyone has access to the same tools. Uh, it's it's really well documented what best practices are for everything. Um, you know, so many games are just made in Unreal or or, or um, Unity, right? Uh, everyone's using the the same stuff. Whereas uh, the Dreamcast era. Um, uh, you know, all the processes were not so uh, set in stone. But at the same time, um, it was a generation after the, the PlayStation, right? So, so I would say PlayStation Saturn era, people were really getting their feet wet with 3D and uh, fascinating, you know, like just crazy era, like super experimental. But um, I think by the time the Dreamcast came out, they were really starting to get some mastery over the, the third dimension. And uh, still, they still had that, that adventurous uh, spirit. It was still super inventive, but I think they had a much better idea of like, what they were doing. And it, it, you have that combination of like, expertise and focus, but just, like, just really freewheeling creativity on these games.
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was a, a good example as, as well as is that the, uh, for instance, there was a team of uh, from the you know the demo scene, the Amiga and Commodore sixty four sort of demo scene uh, was was super super active until I would say the sort of uh, you know early nineties or so, and um, and you had uh, and there was a team within uh, in Scandinavia called Scavenger. Uh, and, uh, and they, they were a bunch of crazy loons and they, uh, they were working on some, um, they, they made a few, some early games, I think on mega drive, like subterranea, I think was one of them. And another game called red zone, which was quite cool, but they, uh, they took that, that sort of indie spirit into, um, uh, to, to the, to Saturn, they made, they made a game called scorcher. And after that, they wanted to do Dreamcast stuff, but but they were they were these demo punks, yeah. and and they were just only just starting to go sort of corporate and getting organized. And they made a game called Messiah. They were picked up by Shiny. Oh, I remember. Uh, and that game was a yeah, big deal. Yeah, it was a big deal. It was a disaster, unfortunately, yeah. in some ways. But but the talent was so immense yeah. behind them, uh, you know, like. Uh, uh, Michael Sachs person was the uh, sort of the technical director. I think he's now at Microsoft, very high up in the corporation. Um, but uh, but those those that, that spirit at the time was so incredible because yeah. you had these crazy, cra crazy experimental experimental artists and programmers and stuff yeah. um, making their first big games. It was really cool. Scorcher on the Saturn, that was a voxel-based game, right? They, they were pioneering, like, totally new, uh, fundamentally different ways to do graphics, you know, for these games. Yes. Yeah, yeah and it should have, in a way, they should have made that for uh, for Dreamcast. I know that they were thinking about making Messiah for Dreamcast, but but Messiah couldn't even run on a PC properly. I mean, the thing was, uh, <laughs> it was yeah. so so intense. The team, then the same team that ended up making the official Matrix game, that shiny developed oh, so that yeah. was the, the so that was actually the former scavenger people oh, and so you had a bunch of crazy scandies surfing in california and making these games uh for shiny and then uh, interestingly and this is because uh, i was working as a journalist at a time you had another team that came out of shiny a group of just six guys left shiny shiny and they founded a company called planet moon studios and they said so they moved up to san francisco and set up uh, Planet Moon Studios and my first ever world exclusive actually uh, I too uh, world exclusive as a journalist that sort of put me on the map back then and one of them was a game called Giants Citizen Kabuto which they were actually developing for Dreamcast but the unfortunately the Dreamcast version got cancelled uh, Interplay picked it up but then I never released it but that was an amazing game if you can look it up Giants uh, Citizen Kabuto you can get it on GOG uh, yeah that's like a pet raising game but you're raising a, a god yeah yeah you've got actually you've got it's it's an asymmetrical online multiplayer game as well what? You, really? you get to yeah you get to play you get to control a massive giant or a sort of uh little uh, jetpack mercenary or uh or a sort of goddess uh with a bow and arrow oh, um oh really i thought it was yeah. just raising the giant Oh. No, 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 no. It's uh, I'm not sure if you could raise anyone in that actually, um, but uh, yeah, I'll try and uh, I think yeah, third person. 
third person shooter video game with real time strategy elements. Yeah. I mean, mental. Absolutely awesome. And uh, and it was a tiny ass team of like six, seven guys that made this complex as hell game. And when you think about that, that's very much like what indies are today. Um, you know, we are, you know, usually teams of six to 10 people. Uh, but uh, but that's, they invented that whole model of that we see today, like at that time, that was during that sort of that sweet spot of like 1997 till like 2001. Uh, and I believe that's when sort of modern indie gaming was uh, was truly invented, you know. And like 20, 20 years later, it's easier with tools like Unity and Unreal and whatever. But back then, like, you, you know, everyone had to sort of reinvent the wheel from scratch, you know, with every game. Yeah, had to code your own engine every time. But it, every time. It gives the games a unique feeling, though. It's it's um, it's hard to put into words. It, it, but you know, it's like uh, when when you play a Unity game or an Unreal game, uh, a lot of times you just feel it, right? It's like, oh yeah, like I don't know, just the 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 vibe of the engine and the process. Really, it's it's you're 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 railroaded into this process, so you kind of everyone ends up doing things similarly. But then back then, it was just like you get coded from scratch, you know, uh, just everyone had their own unique process and the games have a totally unique uh, uh feeling to them that's that's why yeah i mean now when you're working in unity for instance you have to find ways to break the way it does things in order to be unique you know you have yeah. to find uh you know right sort of shaders on top of the built-in stuff in order to almost disrupt it um uh, and, and and you have to almost break things in order to make something beautiful yeah. now because otherwise you you end up looking generic um but back then they had none of that they didn't have the luxury of sort of uniform sort of uh, easy to use uh, engines and, and tools yeah. uh and uh, the other thing that's uh, that's kind of a tragic and also beautiful story about uh uh the dreamcast was that uh, it was the last i believe it's the last treasure games ever made isn't it i mean um okay. isn't did they make Probably. anything after ikaruga oh treasure uh... yeah yeah, they did. They did involved. some PS2 games, didn't they? They did the one with the big shadow hand. And it, the one thing everyone remembers is like, there was like an enemy that was like these gi ridiculous giant boobs, and then you, you you could grab them with your shadow hand. Or am I am I thinking of another developer? No, I think you're right. Oh, it's true. I mean, they did actually make things after that, which I'm you know, but in a way, like I mean. Uh, I mean, they did the, the Hajime no Ippo fighting thing on Game Boy Advance, which is actually a really awesome boxing game. I don't know if you've ever played that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I haven't, yeah, yeah, but I'm... Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. It's so good. It's it's so much fun. I have... It's one of my sort of cherished possessions. And, and oh, that that's a good one. 2003, I'm looking... I'm now cheating because I, I, I got my calendar wrong there. Um but they also, of course, where they did Advanced Guardian Heroes, which wasn't good. They did some Bleach games and other nonsense. But they did Astro Boy Omega Factor, which is yes. possibly one of my top three best GBA titles ever made, in my view. And But they were co-developing that with Hitmaker. And Hitmaker was a team within Sega, right? That was one of those sort of semi-indie teams within Sega. It used to be known uh, called uh, AM3, right? Uh, and it used to be Mizuguchi's team. Uh, Mizuguchi left it um, and then formed uh, United Game Artists. And what was left uh, of Hitmaker 
then co-developed uh, co-developed uh, Astro Boy with Treasure, which is crazy. So how how did that happen? I don't know. Like how did they did they work out of the same office? Do you do we do you think? I don't know. I mean, I I'd love to find out actually. Um, it's kind of fascinating to think that that Sega was had some people on one side, and the and the the person that was directing the game, and this is a important Dreamcast story. The guy who was uh, directing Astro Boy uh, is a guy called Tez Okano. And Te Okano-san uh, was a solo, when the Dreamcast was starting to die and he saw its sort of demise was coming around the corner, he, he was starting to feel really, really sad because he had dedicated so much of his life to working at Sega and being an incredible uh, creative developer within within uh, within Sega, so he was he was creating this love letter to Sega, uh, a, an RPG game in which he just threw all the different Sega characters, and uh, but also he put this evil corporation in there that was trying to destroy Sega, which was clearly uh, Sony, um, that and that game was Sega Gaga. Yeah, so Tez Okano. Uh, he was making this game and and he pitched it uh to sega and they didn't weren't interested at first and then he said uh yeah but i'm gonna make it myself and and and, and there's gonna be no budget at all and, and stuff and so they let him do it they 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 put him in a corner somewhere and, they, <laughs> and allowed okano-san to just develop this crazy ass rpg yeah. thing sega gaga which i love so much I... and uh I, yeah, I heard. Maybe I'm getting my stories mixed up, but I, I think like they might have thought it was a joke the first time he pitched it, or something. Something. Like yes. That. They were like, "Oh, that's hilarious! Like, oh, way to you know lighten the mood." <laughs> like, like they, yeah, because it, it's such a wacky idea. It's such a bizarre game, and uh, it's wacky, but it's but but if you but it's also way ahead of its time because yes. when you think of when you take a look at these new, uh, you know, these sort of semi irreverent sort of. Hey, look at the Lego movie and look at Batman poking fun at Warner Brothers, but it's actually also released by Warner Brothers because it's not actually really punk, but it's sort of s s pretending to and whatever. So that sort of meta humor, um, sort of a, a, a brand taking the taking the taking the Mickey mm -hmm. out of itself. That that no one had done that before. I don't think. Uh, I mean, I can't think of any examples before that uh, where that was the case and. And Sega Gaga did that, um, and so yeah, it's uh, an amazing title. If you, if any of you can, I mean, you have to speak Japanese, sadly, uh, and uh, but it's a good motivator to try and uh, learn it because it's uh, if you are a Sega fan, then Sega Gaga is a, is is a, is a treasure trove because you will just see. It's also it has it also has a sort of corporate sort of uh, like a sort of office management sort of side to it. Where you sort of you're you're actually playing inside the offices of Sega and running into other Sega employees, and and uh, and you'll run into Sonic in the hallway, and then suddenly you'll you'll meet two people from Sonic Team, and you can talk to them and stuff, and and suddenly you engage into crazy RPG fights with discarded Sega properties and stuff. It's fucking nuts, it's but it's awesome. it it's awesome. So, but again, a very good example of that sort of crazy punk spirit that permeated through. Uh, through Sega and, and the Dreamcast at the time. Yeah, uh, fr from what I've seen of this game, it's very, it's not twee and like overly cute about being self-referential. Like it, it's it's like you said, more of like a punk 
like just really fun, <laughs> irreverent uh, thing. And then there's this weird element of tragedy to it in that it's it's very autobiographical. It's 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 a record of like the last days of Sega as this world conquering console developer. You know, like th those were dark times for them. And it's kind of it's pretty special that they they were able to uh, transcribe <laughs> that experience in in this bizarre game that that just would never get made today completely bizarre and also you know he had no marketing budget for it because they'd just given up basically and uh but he managed to i think he spent like a hundred dollars on a mask yeah on this weird remember that that was yeah, that was yeah, his yeah. and he was this was way before like there was this way before uh you know and near or whatever where suddenly the creator walks around with this crazy mask on like he invented that he did that like he did that way before anyone else <laughs> yeah, there, and there, there was no twitter no social media like no no youtube like this guy was just really <laughs> strange and he had like just really original bizarre ideas on how to how to promote the game and yeah and he's and he's he's still active uh okano-san he's now directing uh and writing a, a feature film done entirely in pixel art but in code uh which is nuts so his company huga studio huga studio is working on this feature that's just basically entirely a programmed movie um and he's not using any lazy tools or anything it's all it's all done with hard code um he's amazing that's so awesome. uh, an absolute absolute genius yeah so yeah I, I i saw you sent me a clip of that the other day um yeah it it's very real when um there's such a difference between like a hard-coded video game versus like a uh, mock video game you know that like th this is the real thing and it, it it's such a bizarre <laughs> approach to making a movie i keep using that word but it's um uh it's very real i think that's also the word i'm going for it's 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 very very real like they could have taken a shortcut and just sort of emulated uh the general look and feel of a video game and after effects or whatever but they actually coded it because that's that's the core part of what he's doing he's, he's giving you something real it's not a facsimile it's the real thing um i think that's awesome yeah yeah andy did you play dreamcast as well yeah played a lot of fantasy star online uh, sonic adventure like ko uh you know berserk oh my god yes <laughs> that's right the berserk game that was uh the the first uh, berserk's official foray into uh north america i that game was a big deal like um i remember i think we had just finished watching like fan subs of the uh, tv series uh, I, I I worked at a I used to work at a, a local import video game shop uh, Starland. They're, they're they're still around as eStarland. If you go to eStarland.com, wow. um, I, I I helped them make that website too. It's uh, it was one of the first uh, websites to let you uh, trade in stuff and get credit right away, and then you just sort of honor system had to actually like mail in, you know, your your game to them. Uh, a real mom and pop shop, like genuine, uh, you know. Uh, the, the the dude that founded Starland was uh, his name's Chris Kong, uh, immigrated to the U.S. Um, uh, real success story there, but yeah, I, I uh, yeah, Berserk, having that come out in America on the Dreamcast that was so surreal. That that was such a cool game. Yeah, it was. I mean, I I think I remember fighting enemies as much as I was fighting the camera system in it. Yeah. But uh, but it was <laughs> but it was worth it. 
uh, and actually like surprisingly good performances as well from the English cast and stuff. I remember. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, it was it was it was great. Yeah, there was, but also you had this amazing. Uh, of course, you've, it is the best ultimate to me. The ultimate console for two D fighters as well. Yes. Oh, I mean, my God. yes, yes. I mean, you've got all that incredible Capcom stuff and all the and the Capcom versus SNK and the Marvel versus Capcoms and the and the, and Guilty Gear. Huh? Uh, wait, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure fighting game on the Dreamcast, right? Oh yes, I have. Awesome. I'm a, what, I have JoJo's Bizarre Adventure for matching service, oh, uh, yeah. which is. Wow. The sort of rare version I, of it, I guess. I didn't even know that one had a uh, for matching service version. It did. And what was also quite exciting about the matching service, and it's another first, and, and it was a, a last for a while, was that the matching service was cross-platform as well. What? So you actually, yeah, you had actually games that would, that would be able, that would be playable between PlayStation and Dreamcast. That's crazy. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the, the company that did the matching service still exists to this day. Actually, it's one of the biggest uh, online platforms in Japan. Wow. So, wow. Listen to that. Cross-platform, cross-console online play. Way, way back in, what, like the year 2001? 2000? Yeah. I mean, let me look it up. Uh, I forgot what games it was. You guys, you guys keep talking. I'm gonna Google yeah. this one. Yeah. You guys keep talking. Yeah. The the um just for the listeners, the four matching service. Uh, that 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 was um, uh, Capcom would put out these versions of their classic 2D fighting games, and they would uh, yeah, append four matching service on it because it meant that this game was meant to be played online. So it was like, uh, the first time you could take a 2D fighter online. That just was not the norm. You know, like uh, previous consoles were not meant, the, they didn't uh, go online. If you wanted to play, you had to have your friends come over, right? Like, or go to the arcade. Uh, this was the first time you could actually take it online. And then they- Check this out, guys. I found it. I found it. On September 13th, 2001, Capcom versus SNK2 was released for the Dreamcast and PlayStation 2 in Japan. The Japanese versions of the game allow players from both platforms to compete each other online via KDDI's multi-matching service, making it the first game title to allow cross-play between game consoles from competing manufacturers. That's awesome. Wow, that is history right there. And that's, uh, Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. And that's thanks to Sega, because the Dreamcast was the online system. The PlayStation 2 did not ship with the modem. That was not part of their core strategy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, I just want to say, like, back then the home ports of fighting games they were not bare bones like uh they were amazing like uh the 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 the, the infamous uh, vampire for matching service just an amazing collector's item i wish i could get my hands on that 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 collected all of the uh, vampire you know the dark stalkers games into i have place. it but, oh, i have man, it that's awesome you that wasn't commercially available right i mean not not like on on your regular you know game store like, no it's all the matching store, service right? ones yeah all the matching service games you had to buy via sort of direct like some weird mail order thing uh directly from the dreamcast from the sega website or some nonsense i mean it was just you couldn't buy them in stores okay it, it might have been from capcom too i think back then capcom um, had a pretty strong 
online uh, presence. They, they did a lot of like online only uh, promotions. They, they, uh, this was, you know, before everything just went to Facebook. They, they actually actively like promoted a, a online community really well. Yeah, no, it's it, it, yeah, it was called the, the Vampire Savior one was called Vampire Chronicle. Um, uh, Vampire Chronicle for matching yeah, service, yeah. quite a mouthful there. Yeah. And it's an absolute beautiful game, uh, absolutely beautiful. And uh, it has the, it has, it has, I think, I believe it has three of the Vampire Savior or Dark Stalkers uh, games in it uh, and different play modes. And you can even play the older games using the newer games play modes yes. as well and stuff. Yes. That was so cool that you, you could switch between um, the style of play uh, depending on each game. And it, it was sort of like selecting a groove, you know, which was a thing in, the, in their games like uh, uh, Capcom versus SNK and even Street Fighter 3, you could select your super. But in this game, you could select like what version of the character you could play. And um, that added so much complexity to it. And it allowed you to enjoy every version of the game simultaneously. And it's sort of crazy to me that to this day, uh, they continue to just do um, pretty bare-bones ports of the arcade games, and they, they can't even get, like, the pixels correct. Like, like the PS3 port, like, it didn't even have evenly-sized pixels. It was at a really awkward resolution. Um, and then, but years earlier, like, the Dreamcast version was perfect. It was, it was amazing. But I think one thing, that's, one thing that's happened a lot as well, because it was such a punk era, I think, uh, is that the source code for a lot of these games is gone. I'm sure Capcom has done a better job than Sega because it looked judging by Capcom's sort of gazillion ports of everything. Um, I'm sure that they've been better at it. But but Sega, I mean, you know, I, it's even more tragic with the Saturn games because, you know, Panzer Dragoon Saga, which is one of the greatest things ever made in interactive form, uh, the source code is gone. My God. And... And this is, I mean, it's, it's, it's tragic. It's like, it's sort of like watching the sort of Sistine Chapel burn down, you know? It's kind of, it has, I mean, it was like, like when, when the Notre Dame was on fire, you know, that's the kind of sadness you feel. You go like, this is a, a monumental piece of work. Like two people actually died during the making of Panzer Dragoon Saga to get the thing made, true story. Oh my God, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, one, yeah, one person actually committed suicide and another died in a motorcycle accident. You know, because they're working till like four in the morning every day and stuff, right? Oh, and uh, yeah, and so and then suddenly, like the company loses that, all of that, you know, which is just crazy to me. Um, so yeah, and it's the same with Dreamcast. There's a bunch of games that came out back then where the source code is just is missing, mm. uh, and uh, and that may be the case for things like. Uh, Vampire Chronicle as well. Who knows? I mean, I'm I'm surprised they haven't re released it on anything um, else. They did bring it to PSP. It was the, the, the PSP version was pretty much a port of the Dreamcast version. Um, oh yeah, that's right. I've, yeah, I've, I've heard that was good. I heard it had some crazy low, load times or something, but it was uh, a really good game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I mean, it's a system that you know has just bought so much, uh, so much joy and so much innovation, and and as we've just also established, cross-platform. Uh, play and I remember when people were saying like, "Oh, play, Sony are such meanies because they don't allow cross-platform play," and they and they and they and they wouldn't twenty years later suddenly allow it. It was I think I think now you can play Rocket League or or perhaps even Fortnite cross-platform, but it's only recently that they've allowed it again. But for this very brief window there in two thousand one, you know, uh, 
it 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 all felt like a bit more we all felt a little bit more free and a little bit more crazy and experimental than we do now yeah and that was the dreamcast Hmm. Yeah. Where, where do we go from here, guys? Oh my God. <laughs> well, um, let's talk about maybe just sort of the, the legacy. Like, how how does that era inspire? You know, what we're up to today. You know, all, all of us uh, uh, continue to make games and, and creative stuff today, right? Like, how how do you channel that 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 punk rock spirit of that era uh, now? You know, every everything's so refined now. It's all about metrics. Um, even even when I talk to uh, indie developers, um, they're very commercially minded. There, there's very, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's it, yeah, like you, you need to make money. Um, you you got to turn a profit, right? That's, it gets more complicated, say, if you have a family <laughs> to support. Like you got to gotta make money from these games. But um, I'd say like even a lot of indie games now, they are very, very much like a, a, a commercial product from the beginning. It's like, okay, how, how, how do we make the most money as opposed to like let's make this game about this hideous little like fish with a human face that that talks to you <laughs> and let's let's convince sega to like create new hardware to support it you know it's it's, it's a totally different um landscape right now yeah it is i mean at the same time you've got you've got some real experimentation in, in indies uh happening now uh where I don't know. I mean, there there are some games which which you know when they come up they surprise me. And and there's games like Inside, for instance, where you know which was just so beautifully made and uh, uh, by a com compar comparably small team uh, in Denmark. Uh, you guys have played Inside, right? I'm not familiar with that one. Inside? No. Oh, dude, it's incredible. Inside is. Uh... I'm a BAFTA member. I voted for that like in pretty much every category that it was nominated in, and then I tried to invent some. I would have probably invented some categories just to give it to them those as well. No, it's an absolutely stunning game. It's uh, it's by uh, uh, Play Dead, um, uh, who also made a game called Limbo years ago. Yeah, I, I remember uh, Limbo. Yeah. And Inside is an absolute absolute masterpiece and uh, and it's one of those sort of indie games with a sort of high level of sort of polish and vision wow i can't believe play that now has 50 employees i'm looking at jesus crazy um but check it out it's a game it's so unique and it's so so relentless and it's in its in its approach it's it's exciting and so there are games like now where i go like wow okay there's someone who who is and, and even like semi-independent games like Control, you know, you've got some teams that are massive now, uh, but making games like Control, which are, you know, triple A in quality, but sort of independent creatively. Um, so I, I think there's lots of good that's happening, oh, yeah, I yeah. think. And, that, uh, and of course, Control is not like, it's not art house, but it's artistic and it's, uh, and it's unique. Um, in its tone and 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 really high quality in its writing and then there's games like firewatch which were made by very small teams yeah um and are incredibly influential and and beautiful of course they were snapped up and bought by by valve so we'll never see an original game from that team again sadly <laughs> um but that that approach as well was very so back in the dreamcast days we that's 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 what it was we had we had 
indie sized or, or teams of that would be today considered indie in size uh making games that still make waves today you know yeah i i think um the 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 comparison to indie games now is uh it's especially strong because there are so many games that are are, are very literally just um new versions of dreamcast era games like people miss these games so much and uh since the um you know since the original developers maybe they're not even together anymore but like no one's gonna since no one's gonna put out say a new jet set radio um uh, people are making the uh uh what is that game called it's yeah, the Dutch team, right? Um, right. Uh, yeah, they... It's like Riot something? Uh, give me one sec. A bomb rush uh, cyberfunk. Yeah, yeah. They're really yeah. channeling, you know, the... Uh, it's very unabashedly like a, a uh, pretty much a Jet Set Radio uh, remake, right? I, I, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I respect the fact that they're they're managing to make something in the spirit of something else, but I'm I I I'm kind of I find it a bit yucky. I, I I don't know. I just you know, they just just come up with something original. Like the whole point of Jet Set Radio was that it was original. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you actually really genuinely want to honor that game and make something that feels as original and fresh today as that did back then, then you're making something in the spirit of Jet Set Radio. Um, you know, well, and it's I the same. Find, like, uh, if you look at lots of art history, you know, <laughs> painters copy other paintings and their compositions. Or even they like do. some surviving ancient Chinese silk scrolls. We only have a something based off of something that was older than that was lost. Like losing the code of Panzer Dragoon. It's like. Yes, uh, history is filled with lost art like that. Although, yeah, you know, Panzer Dragoon still exists as a game to play. It's just hard to uh, port. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, thankfully we have emulators now at least where we can uh, we can run these things um, on 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 new hardware and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and that's that's good. But yeah, it, no, I just, I know I just think in terms of creativity, the thing that I think is 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 sad is when people don't actually really truly don't don't truly understand why something was great something was great back then because it was doing things that were new and so so how do you now translate that feeling into something that will feel new today and i think that that that, that again was that that was the spirit of dreamcast as well maybe that's what made the company tank uh as a hardware company i don't know you know that's I don't know. I I, I, don't, I can't. I'm not a business uh, development or specialist. I don't know what made the Dreamcast collapse. Was was it too original? Maybe. I know? think you could make uh, an argument there because, in a way, like Sega is, uh, they're they're almost too innovative. They're kind of representative of like how it's not always best to be the first to do something, because uh, it, it it's so far ahead, no one even notices. It's better to be like the second or third person who actually gets the credit for it, right? Like. Like they were doing like 3D glasses, like with polarized 3D glasses, like pretty much very similar to the technology used in in theaters now. Like they they were doing that in the 80s, right? No one even yeah. remembers that they did that. The master system. Yeah, on the master system, right? They did the first VR headset, guys, in 1993. Oh, they Sega they, did. Yeah. Really, the first. It, VR yeah. Headset? They announced it. They even announced the price of it at at CES in 1993. Look it up. 
and it was amazing looking and it actually had the same sort of head strap system that you see on the high-end oculus quest now or on the psvr for that matter it's um it was it, it was everything and uh, they even had virtual racing running inside of it oh. uh the reason it was called virtual racing is because they were planning uh to release it as a fucking vr game oh my god i didn't know that but the frame rate was pretty shite, and uh, and so it made a couple of fat American kids vomit, and so Tom Kalinsky, who was the head of the of, Se of Sega America at the time, uh, put an end, to, put a stop to it, and because he was actually very powerful, I mean he's a lovely guy, and I mean without him we wouldn't have Sonic the Hedgehog and stuff. I mean he he uh, he he commissioned that character essentially. But because he came from Mattel and stuff, and knew, he knew how to, he knew how to market things to kids and whatever. And and he's, I mean, he, in many ways, he was quite a visionary. From, of all the corporate people, um, he's actually one of the sort of likable corporate types. Um, but Tom, he he put a stop to that. It was Sega of America that had kind of had more say than Japan at the time because they were the one, they were the hit makers. Uh, he didn't want so so. Imagine this. I mean, I just find that interesting. That sort of alternate reality in which Sega ha did release the Sega VR, and let's assume, yeah, sure, maybe it would have made like ten percent of gamers vomit, but ninety percent of them would have gone, "Wow, shit, this is cool!" Like VR. And then, imagine we could have had that in 1995. And then, so imagine how good VR would be today. Like, imagine where we would be today if it hadn't been for this one sort of risk averse. American Sega CEO back then, yeah, you know, mm. and and perhaps Sega would be most the most powerful hardware corporation in the world right now. You know, imagine <laughs> <laughs> they could be Google or Facebook even. Well, you know, that, that that's sort of the crazy thing. They they almost oh, collecting all of your Dreamcast browsing data. Yeah, but they wouldn't have. Done yeah, that. They're, they're not they're not devious enough, right? They they had the opportunity to be, to be like the biggest ISP in Japan, but like they just wanted you to play their games. They didn't want to like yeah. They just wanted to data. give it away to you. Is it not even in exchange for advertising? Yeah, here, yeah, no just ads. go online. They didn't yes. like punish and, and, you with ads. Yes. Oh, and we will lose hundreds of millions on that ISP just so you can have the pleasure of seeing how innovative we are. Yeah. I mean, that's what it was. It was just like just have fun. Isn't that cool? Right. That that spirit of isn't it cool? Like isn't it isn't it isn't it isn't that something? Yeah. Like that was awesome. Yeah. Like that was awesome, and that today still makes me like puts a big ass smile on my face. And and that's why like I've got the Dreamcast sitting next to my sort of ridiculous modern 4K TV set, and all the other things are hidden in the in the in the cabinet underneath it. But the Dreamcast is probably sitting on top, like this sort of weird, beautiful sort of item this this it's, it's a piece of art it's this weird little monolith this like silly little white box it was square shaped yeah. as well it's so cool the thing i love that thing I feel like sega should be able to register as like a monastery because what they do is like it's like those monks that just made delicious beer for the sake of it and gave it to travelers ah oh, that's a lovely analogy Actually, you know what? I think we should make a Dreamcast beer, but in the style of monasteries. Uh, Trappist uh, ale, Dreamcast ale. I would, I would love. Yes. That. <laughs> yeah. Do you know how to? Okay, guys. It? 
No, but I'm going to learn. Yeah, let's do it. Let's figure it out. <laughs> okay. I've, I've been making let's my own it. soda. I've been fermenting soda. So this is this will be the next step. <laughs> oh, dude. And it ships in four packs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. four packs. <laughs> yeah, we could also have a sort of Neo Geo Pocket one. Oh. You know? Oh, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, we could, we could make different, different brews inspired by long forgotten, long lost, but much beloved consoles yeah not a bad idea i'm sure there's a market for that yeah. but uh but yeah i mean let's i mean so maybe we're monks and maybe we're shadows uh in that sense lonely old men you know reminiscing those uh that golden gaming age but uh but no but it does inspire and it's like i mean i'm 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 writing and directing a game at the moment with a team of nine people so very much in that and that uh, sort of sense of, sort of scale and and we've got a, it's enormously ambitious and we have so much going into it and it's, and it's unlike any other game in terms of gameplay and so we're taking some crazy ass risks with it but uh probably yeah, are, i don't know are, are you allowed to talk a little bit about the game like, oh the last worker yeah yeah yeah, yeah i mean uh, only in as much as what has been announced probably okay. but uh uh, if you hear some weird grunts, that's not me. That's my dog wanting to get either get fed or or run to the park. Either way, I'm going to have to attend to her soon, I think. But okay. uh, <laughs> what do you want, doggy? But um, but the yeah. So the last worker is a sort of it's a game set in a, in a near future uh, fulfillment center, um, the size of Manhattan. Uh, actually, the size of the sort of sunken city of Manhattan, because it's sunken at the time of you know, in, in the story of the game, and um, and it's uh, and it's based. The art is uh, is based on designs that the legendary uh, comic book artist Mick McMahon has created yes. for for us. Yes. He's uh, he 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 he's uh, a co-creator of Judge Dredd uh, uh, and lots of 2000 AD greats. Yeah. Uh, he's an absolute genius, and so working with his and his character designs and environmental designs and stuff for this has been an absolute godsend. I just wanna, um, um, he's an amazing artist. If you're if you're listening right now, uh, if you are listening to the Art Eater podcast, um, you should definitely know. Uh, uh, like he he's influenced probably a lot of your, your favorite artists, like 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 Mike 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 Mignola for sure. Like took for sure a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, so yeah. So he's Mick 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 Mahon is uh, is an absolute genius and a wonderful man and a very a very humble man as well uh given how influential he has been on on so so many people and uh and i'm working with an amazing team on this uh, wolf and wood uh, newcastle based uh dev team known for uh vr games mostly because they've made a game called a chair in a room uh which is awesome and i made the exorcist uh legion vr game as well for uh sort of steam vr and oculus quest and uh and other things uh they've done um a game called hotel r and r which is also on playstation vr and and so working with them is an absolute uh, pleasure and and the game is uh we haven't really unveiled what the gameplay is yet but there are stealth elements there are puzzle elements there are sort of crazy exploration elements and it's 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 very very narratively driven as well and we have an incredible voice a voice cast uh, of huge actors actually and we're currently recording with them 
uh, here in London, between London, Adelaide and Iceland at the moment because of travel restrictions. So we're having to work over Zoom and it's madness. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's going to be gorgeous. It's going to come out uh, March next year. So there's a little bit of a way to go. But uh, if you follow at The Last Worker, uh, then uh, you'll uh, gradually see some visual goodness over the coming coming weeks. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I, that the title of the game is perfect. It it, it says so much, and it, it it just it's one of those games where um, it's just tidy, like you know, like a Dreamcast era game. Like everything fits together. You can tell it's made with a lot of heart and with with a team that like really, you know, really cares about every every aspect of it. It's looking awesome. Well, thank you. You know, it means really a lot coming from you because you've got uh, great taste. Uh, and uh, I mean, but it's it's uh, yeah, it's 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 that. But always, and it's not just a game. It's like I mean, up to me, it's uh, it's also uh, it's a social satire, and it's and it's for me, it's I'm, I'm I get to express a lot of things that I feel are sort of on my mind at the moment about what's happening on this on this crazy ass planet of ours, and, and how corporate indeed it has become, uh, and how. And how the independent spirit and how the individual is getting thwarted more and more and replaced by automation and things. And so in that sense, it's also very dreamcast because, you know, that's, you know, if you take a look at Jet Set Radio and what it was about or, or Sega Gaga for that matter or, uh, or Seaman and, uh, and some of the, pro pro some of the sort of uh, for, uh, progn prognostics that even the character of Seaman had in the game if you if you sort of maybe you could watch some playthroughs but he was talking about the future of the internet uh 20 years ago in character you know leonard De nimoy was actually doing the voice of a uh, voice in the game in the u.s version he was the narrator uh spock freaking captain yeah. spock was uh narrating yeah. was... is there a, a story behind how that happened yeah no i don't know it <laughs> yeah i don't know no, I no, I have no idea. Um, but he did it, and uh, but it, it, you, you see, like towards the end of the game, uh, you know, uh, this is spoiler alert. But uh, but uh, he will start asking. Seaman will start asking you questions about about the internet and about society at large, and he'll start philosophizing about how it's bring us all together. But it will also probably also make us quite lonely and uh, and isolated at home and all this kind of stuff and. Uh, and this was pre-social networks. They were only just starting to emerge at the time, but uh, but that game saw it saw the future. It was also it's a strange sort of artifact from a from an era that was sort of strangely sitting between two chairs, between the offline and the emerging online world, between the sort of you know uh, handcrafted sort of to the written to the chip to the core of the chip software and the and the sort of the emergence of AI and voice recognition. You know, it was sort of right at the sort of like at that sort of weird turning point yeah. um, of a, both a century, but also technology and entertainment and stuff. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just fascinating. Yeah, I, I think it's one of the best relics of that point in time, you know, across all media, across, you know, books, movies, music, like it, it really uh, captures that point in time, like in incredibly well. Yeah, it is. It is. I find it inspiring to this day, and, and and I have tons of games for it, and I and I play them very very regularly. Oh, another one that's an amazing game we haven't talked about is uh, 
Virtuon, you know, or a Toyo Tangram or Cyber Troopers or whatever. I mean, the, the craziest yeah. mouthful title ever. It's but a cool that, control scheme. Amazing. And like to a it's so cool that they had to make a bespoke, amazing dual stick controller just for that game. Yeah. Like, which is nuts as well. It, it makes no commercial sense. I mean, they must have yeah. lost money on that game. It kind of felt like doing like footwork in a combat sport but with uh two lovers like okay go go forward both legs and um it was like a content context sensitive like how close you were determined your attack right yes it's so cool it's like you push them together and you uh or, or you or you move them apart for a jump and and the jump is sort of sort of like a jetpack fueled thing but also depending on what character you have you might have it might have a different uh, response on it as well. I mean, it was just so badass. Yeah, and yeah, being uh, locked on to your opponent, so where they move is like it's changing how you move. Yes, and and dude, and somebody amigo, you had a maracas controllers for that. How yeah. cool was that? Yeah. That was nuts. Yeah. You know, with that. I mean, it, yeah, it was just infinitely awesome oh, and, and, uh, uh, sega bass fishing <laughs> the infamous oh my uh, God. Uh, fishing controller and you know, that, just that awesome game with the, the yeah fish you know the electric guitar music but um what an amazing controller and in fact um it was actually you could use it to play a lot of other games uh, I, I i recall there was someone that uh, like mastered soul caliber using the uh, one-handed fishing controller like he became a masterful <laughs> high level player at it uh, that's cool you know in in kendo some people say you have to strike like you're casting a fishing rod mm. yeah oh. yeah it's uh yeah I, th I think without without the dreamcast well without sega we wouldn't have a lot of innovation now uh for sure and uh, we wouldn't and games wouldn't be what they are today and and since that is the last piece of hardware that they did it's uh it's a precious thing, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I love it. No, I mean, I, I, I'm also like dreaming, and I can't say what title it is, but I'm working on bringing back a Dreamcast era game, um, and uh, so that's going to be my next game. And uh, yeah, so I'm quite excited about that. I, uh, I have a deep, deep, deep rooted love for that crazy ass company and its beautiful things that it made. So. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I'll uh, I'll always have that thing. Hopefully, I hope I'll never it will never break down. You know, it's one of the sort of fears of retro games. Is like, I just oh. hope my hardware doesn't die mm. on me. Do like, is there anyone making a Dreamcast retro machine like people do with old cartridge systems? Is that possible, or is it too well? I don't. I think it's quite complex. I, it's funny because I'm I'm still waiting on my Polymega. I don't know if you have you seen the Polymega. I think I have. Like, it's an awesome system. Uh, my friend Damien, who who runs uh, uh, NintendoLife.com and other things, uh, he he has he got an early uh, well a, a unit, I guess, or copy, whatever of it, and it's a system in which you can play. PlayStation, Saturn, uh, Neo Geo CD, uh, 32X. Yep, 
so you have, so the base system has a CD ROM drive in it in which you can put any of the CD based systems of the time. Uh, and uh, with perfect emulation, it's a, it's a mix between emulation and, uh, and sort of hardware based stuff. And then you can buy these, yeah. And then you can buy, uh, and then you can buy these uh, sort of modules for it, like for cartridges. So I'm, I'm, I've pre-ordered the Mega Drive one, and that one works for both Mega Drive and 32x games. Oh, nice. And it rip, and it rips the games to the machine, as well. So, so once you put the disc in, and for instance, if you're a collector and you have like your thousand dollar copy of you know panzer dragoon saga then you only have to put it in there once and then uh it'll you know put it onto the drive and then you can neatly put that back on your shelf and you can play it to heart's content on there wow and you could even put sort of translation files onto it oh, wow. like for games that have never had localized versions um there's a way to bring them in there as well which is insane so that's that's exciting, but that doesn't exist for Dreamcast. But the but the Poly Mega is uh, is an exciting piece of hardware. And now that I'm talking about it on this podcast, I hope that they can send me mine early because people <laughs> have been waiting on this for years now. So uh, yeah, but I can't promise if you order one from them now. I I don't know when you will get it. Um, but uh, but it's a beautiful thing. So, so it's 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 hardware and software uh, driven. So it's, yeah. it's going to be yes. better than just trying to emulate on your your computer. Yes, and it also has and it also has a light gun. Oh. Um, so you can actually play your Saturn games that you are no longer able to play uh, with a light gun because light guns don't work on on you digital displays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, it, there's a light gun for it, so you can actually play all those old light gun games. Oh man. Uh, I mean, it's just awesome, that thing. I mean, if you go to polymega.com, uh, again, polymega, please send me mine. Um, I, I need it. Thank you. Um, but um, yeah, polymega.com, you can see that. Oh, there it is, the retro gun controller. How cool oh, wow. does that look? Yeah, yeah. Do you see that? Are you on the yeah, website? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's actually... Yeah, it's a, be it's a beautiful piece of hardware. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's... Uh, I mean, yeah. you can break out Elemental Gear Bolt again. Oh my God, yes! Yeah. Oh, look at that gorgeousness. It's just so beautiful, and those modules on there and stuff. Anyway, I'm excited about. I mean, hopefully somebody will make something like this for Dreamcast games down the road. That would be nice. That would be awesome. Uh, uh, I'd be the first in line to buy it. Uh, you know, ideally it would be Sega themselves. Why not? That would yeah i i i, I that, that would be a dream <laughs> even though i already have the dreamcast I, I would buy it again if sega put out another if they went back to hardware just on principle i'd be i, I would have to support it because i i, I mean they did it. yeah oh, did they yeah no the, the astro city mini is just gorgeous isn't it i mean that, oh, that... yeah you're right yeah 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 that but is... that was released by sega toys that was their toy division that made that bizarrely mm. yeah should pick that up it's awesome it is the the, the uh, virtual fighter on that is so gro so gorgeous in 720 you know uh and you just put that on your tv and it's the perfect it looks better than the arcade version did back then which wow. is nuts and then uh, and then you have a golden axe 
2 or whatever, Revenge of the Death Adder or something, yeah. one that was never released was, domestically. Yeah. Yes. That game was cool. Yes. That was a weird game. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've uh, I've completed that with my son in one afternoon, and it was oh, nice. real fun, really great fun. So uh, yeah, no, Sega, they 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 can when they try, they can still make a piece of hardware. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it's just it, I think it's it's hard for people to understand if you if you were not gaming like at the time, but when when Sega dropped out of the hardware game, that was a sea change. <laughs> Because it was always about, like, you know, Sega versus Nintendo. And then, you know, like, PlayStation, Sony was the upstart. But then after the Dreamcast died, that you know, that's, that's you had the Xbox come in. And, um, yeah, you, you had very corporate companies take over gaming, right? Uh, I think the mood, it felt like Sega versus Nintendo was, like, two warriors shouting their name out for a duel. But then afterwards, it was, like, just armies burning fields. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I, I. But I mean, I was, I was so sad to see that happen. But then, but then when, when Sega made uh, Super Monkey Ball as a GameCube launch title, mm. that which I, which may still be the best launch title ever made for a console. I mean, challenge me on this. But <laughs> like to, to to day one get a game that is so freaking polished and beautiful and fun. Yeah. Um, it took I, Sega uh, to make. In my uh, like game project classes, I like so many of my uh, students make games that sound like, "Hey, that sounds like Super Monkey Ball. Let me show you this game from the from this olden times of rolling around and the field changing and just just really feeling like physics of it, and it's all fun." Yeah. Yeah, to think that the guy who did Super Monkey Ball is now making uh, the Yakuza games. Oh, it's yeah, cool. that's right. That's right. Yeah. And he, he, I feel and like he on... applied his, uh, his monkey archetype skill to just building really nice Yakuza characters. Yeah. 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 They're great characters. I love Yakuza actually, and actually Yakuza has a lot of that Sega Gaga spirit in some ways. It's 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 both serious and uh, but 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 also completely irreverent. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, it doesn't it's not a and it's not afraid to break the fourth wall, right? Yeah. Which is which is within a within a melodrama, which is. Which is kind of inc extraordinary. It's a uh, it's an incredible tone to it. It's very Sega, actually. Yes. The spirit of Sega is very much alive in that as well. So, yeah, I'm 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 excited to see what what Sega is doing as a, and Cat still has up its sleeves as a, as a developer and publisher, because um, they still have quite a lot of great talent working within their ranks, and also, and I believe that. If they are to start working with indie developers on their legacy IP, then some of that sort of past magic uh, could come back in surprising ways. Um, I might even be working on something like that, maybe. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Hope, hope to hear more about that in the, in the, in the future, maybe. Uh, you know you will. You know you will. 
but yeah, I mean, guys, uh, I don't know. I'm happy. I could be talking for hours about this nonsense. So, but, but, but we also don't want to bore people to death. So. <laughs> Yeah, let's um, let's let's wrap stuff up. Uh, you gotta gotta take care of your your dog too. Um, I gotta. Yeah, the dog out. seems hungry or or something else. I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out. Yeah. Can I yeah. see your dog? Yeah, hang on. Yeah, I'm, let's uh... Turn our video back on. Yeah, of course. Now we're depriving listeners. Puppy. Well, more reason for Richmond to do videos. Oh. oh hello. Oh. Hey, puppy. Yeah, you're gorgeous, Doug. Do you want to have food or what? Mm. It's a bit early for lunch or dinner. Okay, yeah, sure, sure. Whatever. All right. Anyway, she's a good dog. Hang on, here she is. Um, What's her name? Her name is Puppy. Oh, it's, it's Puppy. 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 P-O-P-P. She was she was named like, by, uh, by my daughter um, like six years ago. But yes, P-O-P-P-Y. Puppy. Oh, I, yeah. thought, I thought maybe it was like a Samurai Showdown reference <laughs> oh good point yeah no no it was my my daughter but my daughter also named our cat and uh and and our cat is called taiko so after the japanese drum so but that was my daughter's <laughs> idea i don't know how she came up with that but she's 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 a huge she's a huge uh fan of uh of anime as well and things um and uh, yeah and uh, and drumming so oh, cool um yeah but yes uh and the kids and my kids actually like to wrap it up nicely but my kids actually prefer playing dreamcast games to anything else with me oh really uh which is pretty sweet so yeah i mean they would just really enjoy the mad stuff you know they you know i've been playing jojo bizarre adventure the other day oh, my with my son awesome. and he just Looking you know he's just cracking up at how insane the whole thing is yeah. uh and seaman like like seaman is the thing like well all the other all the other kids in their class are just you know talking about you know going back to animal crossing or whatever like my kids would come home and, and go like can we please like talk to seaman and see where he's at so i'm i'm the weird dad who pulls out these sort of obscure things and because you have to like seaman you have to literally attend to him every day or he dies so and you have to do that for a month before you get to see the ending yeah. so we actually like that was that, that requires some dedication you know yeah um yeah, so that was our that was our entertainment, and you could play Seaman for like fifteen twenty minutes a day max, and you'd get the full experience, which was also kind of cool. It's like let me give you this microphone accessory so you can only use it ten minutes a day. Yeah. <laughs> Again, like totally prescient of like uh, the mobile gaming format, except like not so um, uh, evil, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, C completely ec economically illiterate, yeah. but uh, but but creatively completely free. Yeah. Um, I think my I think my dog needs a loo break. I think that's what yeah. she needs. Okay. Well, let's let's yeah. wrap this up. Okay. Um. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, <laughs> thank you for listening. This is a, a impromptu uh, art eater podcast number forty. Jörg, it was a pleasure to have you on. Um. Yeah. Let's. Uh, I'd love to have you on again. It's it's great just to chat about all this cool stuff that we love. Um, oh, can you uh, Any, anytime? You know, yeah, uh, let people know how to follow you and uh, the the games that you're working on. Oh yeah, so uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at New York, which is 
N-E-W, like new, and J-O-R-G, so at N-E-W-J-O-R-G. And, uh, and my game, my upcoming game is called The Last Worker, and you can follow that at, at The Last Worker, or go to thelastworker.com. And, uh, and I'm sure that, that Richmond will just be able to put these in, the, in a tweet when announcing this thing, or put it in the description of the thing or whatever. Yep. And then uh, you can just click on it and stuff. been a pleasure thanks guys yeah learned a lot about history here yeah, yeah well i mean i just i just love i just love i just love how passionate we can be about this stuff and how excited we can get i yeah i look forward to talking to you guys some more because i mean this is i i've tuned into the podcast uh several times before and like the uba episode and other things and it's just 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 so much there's so much love to share for these things um yeah. Awesome. Much love and stay safe and see you soon. Have a good one. Bye.